Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. So, Webster's Dictionary describes etiquette as... Shut the hell up, McCurdy. You're better than that trope. But listen, you might rightly be thinking, this is a cocktail podcast, so... What on earth do manners and protocol have to do with things? Well, everything, according to our guest today. Because viewed through a cocktail and bar lens, the idea of etiquette encapsulates everything from the correct way to dispose of an empty bottle, how to hold stemware and mixing glasses, and how to control the ambience of a bar room as the night develops. Now, the reason we're taking this slightly left-field detour today is because this is a very special episode for us, and we wanted to bring back an equally special guest for whom this is an extremely important topic. You'll meet them in just a second. Hell, most of you have probably already seen their name in the show notes, but do let me just say one final thing. This is the Cocktail College podcast, and we might be halfway to triple digits already. But we are just getting started. I'm going to say this. Here we go, guys. It's a big one. 50, the big 5-0, the half century, which was, I believe, my batting average back in the day at cricket. And I tell you, here's a guy who knows a thing or two about cricket. It's guest number one and guest number 50. It's Eric Alperin. Welcome back, man. You know... I really appreciate this, Tim. However, you made me feel incredibly old when you texted me uh, six days ago. And you you said, hey, man, I know this is last minute, but number 50 is coming up and I want to bring you back. And I was like, what are you talking about? How many are you doing a week? Like three? (laughs) Yeah, I just thought it was so recent that we did the first one. But when I looked back at the uh, episode dates, it was September 9th that we did uh, the old fashioned episode. It's incredible, isn't it? It's incredible how time flies. And you know what? I thought we got to mark this occasion and you are now contractually obliged to do all of the important numbers from here on in. You're just now, you're just in this thing for eternity. 100, 150. I'll do it. You'll bring me back. you bring me back for 100. I'll see you at 100. I'll see you for the hundy, but we're doing 50 today. So let's get into it because you had a great idea for this episode and you know, having read your book, having spoken with you before and enjoyed a drink with you on one occasion, I know that what we're going to get in today really matters for you. And I think is the meat and bones of, of this industry for you. So tell us about what you're thinking today and where we're going to go with this one. Absolutely, Tim. Um, you know, I, 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 I do enjoy talking and listening to uh, episodes about cocktails, but really what what gets under my skin and drives me is the theater of what we do, um, what guests don't necessarily see, but uh, the, the details that we uh, um, really slave over. And <clears throat> etiquette um, is really what came to mind when you asked me about what would you like to talk about. Um, and uh, it, it's, uh, it really is a driving force for what I, I enjoy in, in our industry. And what does etiquette mean to you? What, what does that encompass? I mean, we're going to get into it, but I guess just if you could summarize that in a sentence or two up top here. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Um, etiquette is a sense of self and a sense of self within a room and a sense of self in relation to others. Um, there's a, there's a great, uh, quote actually. And a lot of what we're going to discuss is, is, is from, um, the evolution of, of the milk and honey manual that, um, started with, with Sasha at milk and honey and through, you know, Attaboy, Dutch Kilns, Violet Hour, um, the Everly, the Varnish has, has evolved and has grown, um, with the contribution of all the milk and honey family members. Mm -hmm. There's this really wonderful quote, uh, it's in the book, but I also use, I have an etiquette um, chapter to um, my uh, <clears throat> my training program. And um, it's from uh, an anonymous swordsman in 16th century Japan. And the quote is, needless to say, the moment any pleasure is taken at demonstrating one's skill at swordsmanship, all possibility of true swordsmanship is lost. Mm -hmm. And to me, Etiquette aligns with that in the sense that etiquette is not something that you you smash your symbols and wave your arms and go, hey, look at me. Uh, etiquette is very much the magic. Um, it's the subtlety. It's not necessarily what, I don't know, 75% of our guests can actually intellectualize when they come in. It's really a, it's a feeling that they experience. And yes, of course, there are seasoned um, <laughs> nightlife uh, people that that go out and can see all the details that are being paid attention to. I mean, I, you know, I I'm sure you can go into a place and you're there, and and when the lights change automatically at like seven oh nine, yeah, and you can in and you know exactly what's happening. Either it's the GM um, or it's on a timer. Uh, you know, so so many of these little uh, details are are what make the magic happen, and. Yeah. Um, I just wanted us to jump into some of that. It's the stuff that I love to talk about. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I think it. hearing you talk about there reminds me, you know, my experiences as a diner, one of the first things I would always think about when I was a chef was what temperature is the butter coming out at? Because if it's room temperature, easy to spread, I'm like, okay, these guys are on it from minute one from the food perspective, right? I'm not waiting 15 minutes or I'm not tearing up some well-made bread with some, you know, very hard butter. And again, okay, that's not etiquette, but it's the things that maybe 95% of people miss. But when you have some experience and you go in there and you see it, that, that makes you feel comfortable. That makes you feel excited about what's to come. I, I would actually, I would say that it is etiquette because to pull out the butter I love that you brought up this example because I have a coffee shop I go to every day. I love them. It's Verb downtown. Mm -hmm. and I, you know, I, I don't get a chance to cook his home as much as I want to. I also kind of believe that I like going out and getting out of the house in the morning. But there's some mornings where the butter with the biscuit comes out hard. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, somebody came in late today or somebody didn't pull the butter out <laughs> mm -hmm. with the intention of knowing that, like, you know, you know back there if you're uh, a server or a runner and that butter is hard, you know it shouldn't be. You know that you are serving something that is going to be difficult to apply to the experience. Um, and, and, and it's, it's, it's so many things. Like I have, I have one huge example where I know if uh, a bartender gets it. And that is always placing an empty bottle in the trash. Press gently on the next bottle in the bin 
and they never throw a bottle in the trash so that it makes a jarring sound. Like, I absolutely fucking hate that. It's like when bartenders do that, and, and it doesn't have to be a fancy fucking cocktail bar. It mm-hmm. can be, mm-hmm. you know, it can be a vibe bar. There's no reason why you have to like smash your symbol going like, hey, look at me, I'm bartending. It just doesn't have to happen. <laughs> Sometimes you know, they'll clank and tink and, and make some noise. But if the intention is to like place the bottle in the trash and not throw it, you don't need need to hear that that jarring smash. It pulls you out. Yeah, it's it's not kind, uh, and and it's it's kind of selfish. And right there is an example of of a either being irreverent or b not understanding the subtleties of etiquette. And so when I do go to a bar, you know, I know people are like, "Well, can they make a daiquiri? Can they make a Negroni?" And I'm sitting there going, like, "Can they properly place?" a bottle in the trash so that they're aware uh, about the, the, the guest experience. I mean, that really brings me back to that quote that you shared earlier of being like, nothing about this is supposed to be about me as the bartender or, you know, the, the, the person serving, the person who should be following the rules of etiquette at this point. And in those examples where people are throwing things around, I mean, I saw it in the kitchen too. It was almost like, like you said, the, the person's trying to say, look at me, I'm the bartender. Or maybe they're saying to their colleagues, look how fast I'm working, I'm working really hard. And oftentimes it's less efficient. And like you said, the bottle example, it's always jarring for the guest though. And it's not playing with the team. I mean, I would say, let's use, because I very much think of all of this as theater, Let's use um, actors and acting. Uh, people that overact uh, are usually as it doesn't resonate or it's not as well received by the audience as somebody who really just does the action at hand. And I think, again, that is what that quote um, is saying. Uh, it's saying if you have to, if you have to crash the symbols and wave your hands and, and arms and say, hey, look at me, if you have that mentality, then I, I, I don't think you're really, um, uh, you know, doing, doing the real deal. A hundred percent. You're making it about yourself. And I, it's not that you can't have good ego behind the bar, but that intention, um, that etiquette, it, it's, it speaks a lot. Yep. So here's an idea for you, because I do have a copy of some of these notes here that you've kindly shared with me beforehand. And, you know, you have the quote in there and, and the bottle. And I'm sure we'll get into more. But I'm thinking a good way for us to really frame this conversation is what if we look at it through the lens of a standard night at your bar? It might be a little bit before. I mean, we don't need to get into the the technical stuff like the, you know, the preparation of ice, which we did in the in the last episode or or more mise en place things, which are a little bit more technical. But maybe it is something that comes up before service that you're thinking about through this lens. But why don't we go through a shift and you can talk about the various things that are happening throughout the night and, and really why they're important to you and what they show. Oh, I love that. Yeah, let's make it active. Uh, and I think we should just use this list because uh, so much of it will, uh, will, you know, will be the catalyst for conversation here. A hundred percent. Yeah, if you want to start from the top, and by all means, like just just jump in there and throw any any ones that that really resonate with you. But you know, like the first one on the list is always hold stem glassware by stem or with thumb and forefinger on the foot. Always hold mixing rocks and handball glasses by the absolute lowest point. Now, what does that mean? Two things. One, people would 
consider that that you know hands carry germs, um, and also that your hand is a ninety-eight degree heater. So mm-hmm. as we know, we want to serve cocktails in the coldest state possible. So holding a uh, stem glass or a highball or rocks glass from the lowest point, furthest away from the rim where the guests will be drinking uh, and vibing from, and also with you know, the least amount of warmth from your hand uh, is is the proper way to to handle a finished drink. Mm-hmm. And also no fingerprints there either, which is just not something you ever want to see in your drink that's just been placed in front of you. Totally. I mean, that's the thing. It's like serving a drink in its coldest state possible is, is the intention. And of course you, you, you know, you, it, it's like when you deliver a plate from the kitchen, I always remember this lesson thumb off the plate. Yeah. So like you're using kind of the, the, the meat of the outside of your thumb to, to just keep the plate in your hand. But I mean, thumb or not like thumbprint or not. It's just that intention of like, no, this is for you. This is not mine. Yeah. And all these little things are subtle, but they, they mean a lot. Yeah. I learned that lesson working at a coffee shop when I was a kid. Uh, my first job, we had food there and I was serving water. Um, and there was an older woman, uh, elderly lady. And I put the glass down. I kind of had, I put the glass down cause I was kind of told and, and gangly and, and I grabbed the top of the glass and I put it down in front of her. And she said, please take that back and bring me a new glass. <laughs> and I didn't get it. I was like, what do, you, what, what do you mean? She's like, I don't want to drink your fingerprints. And I was like, uh, okay, ma'am. You know, <laughs> and, but that she was absolutely fucking right. And I never forgot that. And I never did it again. And so I learned that lesson before I got to the milk and honey family. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's a big one there. That's a big one right there, yeah. Uh, the, the next two are like understanding hygiene behind the bar. And can you maintain your uniform all week? I mean, that's just a personal point of pride. You know, it's like, can you look, can you look good for your shift? Uh, can you make sure that your shirt is uh, pressed, clean, ready to go? But also with hygiene, is that, you know, you might like your hair might fall in front of your eyes. And, and Sasha always taught this lesson. But it, it was like, instead of using your fingers to push your hair out of your out of your face, you just kind of use the back of your hand. Or if you had an uncontrollable itch on your nose, you weren't gonna like grab me and take your fingers and like start itching your nose. You might just use the back of your forearm, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that was just all that intention of like, hey, I'm working here, and yes, I'm cognizant of the fact that I am uh, creating things and building things for other people. Um, there's a great uh, um, a place called Found Oyster here in LA that. Um, good friends of mine, um, run and own, and, uh, it's an oyster bar and the, the, the shuckers and everybody has to shuck there. But, uh, when you're shucking, you know, I, I even saw that kind of behavior just the other night when I took my parents here for the first time, they are very much, their hands are their tools. And if they need to scratch their, their face or, or move their hair, they're doing it with their forearm. Yeah. So, so yeah, those are, those are, uh, good, good etiquette intentions. That really, strikes me as the kind of duality of this conversation because on the one hand we are talking about almost being invisible and on the other hand we're talking about being very aware that this is theater and you're on show at all time oh yeah oh 100 percent. well here's this about like you know um you really know if somebody cares the way they place the bottle on the bar 
I know this is a very Japanese style. When you pour, make sure the label is out. And I've always been like, yeah, as you're working, you'll understand how your bottles are sitting. You'll probably place your bottles in situation where you grab it one head and then palm it with the other from, you know, from the bottom. The label will be facing out towards the guest. But if you put a bottle down on the bar, that again is another uh, telling sign of how aware um, a bar team is. It's like, and, it, and again, it doesn't matter if you're in a crap cocktail bar. It doesn't matter if you're in a dive bar. There's no reason why if you have to put a bottle down on the bar top that the label should be face out. And I, I don't know if it was Sasha or who, <laughs> I, 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 wherever it came from, but it's like if the bottle wasn't, wasn't face out, it's like, oh my God, the, the boat's going to flip over. And mm-hmm. I know it sounds like a joke, but it's like the whole, the whole ship is going to go be <laughs> turbid. And, and it actually, actually, now I remember, it's like I worked on a fishing boat in Alaska and we always, always coiled the ropes clockwise, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you never did it counterclockwise. Now the reason, and the joke was like, don't know, if you don't do it clockwise, the boat's going to flip over. But guess what? The truth of the matter was, is that it's, it's an intense environment. Um, the seas can be really rocky and dangerous. And if everyone knows that the ropes are coiled a certain way, uh, then they can act accordingly. Yeah. Um, so it's all, it's not just intention to be fussy or to be fancy or to be, or even to be like, Oh, look at how, look at how specific they are. It actually has intention. Yeah. You know, it's like those. And again, maybe this gets a little bit more technical, but it's like when you're in those shifts that seem to be slower, it's still acting as if you're in the busiest shift of the week in terms of everything goes back into its place once it's been used everything gets clean the process is the same all the time because you know you can st- you can get slammed straight away and suddenly you know things aren't in the right place you haven't topped up certain ingredients and suddenly you're screwed yeah um Tim, you know this but it's like it's when you get when the when it's not as busy as when shit you know shit goes south yep. Um, and, and so much so, man, I mean, it, it, it's almost like instinctually when things speed up, as long as you're running a tight ship, then things are going to, things are going to work in step with each other. But if when it's slow, you don't, you know, you don't regard these details as important parts of the process, just because it's like, ah, it's slow, whenever it's like, then, then when you get hit hard, you're going to, you that whenever attitude is just going to get the best of you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, let's. Let's bomb through some of these other ones because I do love them and I'd love them just, you know, we've explained why they're important. I think we kind of hit on them. Um, they'll just make sense to people. Yeah. So uh, can greet and serve customers at the bar, like saying hello, acknowledging, like even if you're busy, you go like, hey, how are you? Oh, Tim, good to see you. I'll, I'll just see a couple of minutes or, oh, you just want a beer? Let me just grab that for you. Um these three pillars, I call them the three pillars, lights, music, and temperature, these are huge. Mm-hmm. So understanding the appropriate light levels in the room and adjusting as necessary throughout the night, I mean, that right there is huge intention. You know, like, I, I just can't tell you how when you walk into a place and it's these three things right here are the three things that when I walk into, well, any bar that I work with or own or any place that I'm visiting and, and granted I can't do anything about the places that uh, <laughs> I'm not an owner or operator in, but just like understanding the level of the lights, understanding the appropriate volume of the music. Okay. In relation to how many customers are in the room, what is, you know, how is their conversation affecting uh, how we hear the music? If there's two parties in the room, then the music doesn't need to be that loud. If there's like 12 parties in the room, then yeah, the music probably needs to be up a little bit just to 
to balance off with the with the um, jovial conversation that's happening at the tables. And then, you know, of those three pillars, the last one that's so important is temperature. It's like, and, and it's not, that's not an easy one either, because you can be behind the bar and moving and grooving and, you know, you're, you're a little hot under the collar, but that doesn't necessarily mean people that are drinking your drinks yeah. are warm as you are. So there's that tricky balance of, of working with your team, communicating. Like, I love the idea of like, let's say you and I are working together at the bar and I'm like behind the bar, you're on the floor. I might be like, yo, Tim, can you go over to the other side of the room? And I don't even have to say that. I could just look at you and like point to my ear or, you know, or like grab my collar to, to say like, these are, these are signs of how we communicate on the floor and just be like, to be like, yep. And you go over to the other side of the room and then you'll look at me and you'll give me like a wink or a nod and you'll be like, ah, I know I need to, you know, like make it cooler in here. We need to, um, you know, we need to pump up the music. Like all that stuff, all that dancing that we do together, that's, that's, it's fucking magic. Mm-hmm. Is what a, makes the point of view that we've all um, gotten behind the sandbox that we've chosen to play in and share with our guests that's where it gets really exciting for me. I mean, shit, I can even feel it right now, like in my voice and my energy. <laughs> yeah. see my norms right now. Like, <laughs> this is the shit that really turns me on. And and I, I want more conversations about this. So, I, I mean, if I can jump in here for a second. Yeah, you're looking at the list too. You tell me what else you want to chat about. So I just want to, yeah, I, I, I just want to jump in here a quick second too. And, and before we move on from those three pillars, you know, just... Once again, emphasizing them, lights, music, temperature. A couple of follow-up questions here, maybe for folks that haven't worked the industry. A, is this something you can, because I know, for example, I think I do believe, you you know, you'll have your playlists and whatnot, but like, is this just a case-by-case basis? Is this something that's being personalized every night or can you have kind of a template on what you're working off and ultimately, you said that's a conversation between or it's an interaction between me and you behind that bar there. But is there one person taking lead on this stuff? Uh, that's that's a great uh, that's a great question. I mean, I think it also depends on what kind of shop you're running. Um, you know, I do want to make it everybody's kind of responsibility. I want your uh, I would say your, your, your antennas to be up with this. It doesn't matter if you're the person that's able to go adjust the lights or the sound. Uh, I think it's important not to be oblivious to these things, even if you're the one who's going to be affecting it or not. Um, like at the Barnish, we're a small little postage stamp of a cocktail bowl. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of it budget-wise was put together on a shoestring. So like these days, they have audio systems that automatically um, adjust their sound levels. I, I Forgive me, I'm not a sound engineer. I, I know <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. It just like it autocorrects in terms of how it's peaking on the, the decibel monitor. And and those things are amazing. Uh, it's the same thing with lights, too, where, um, you know, you can set the lights to automatically dim um, because they have these light systems that are all controlled by an iPad to dim at a certain hour. But again... You know, I, and, and the same for for um, for uh, temperature. You know, now we have these advanced systems that will uh, auto set a certain temperature range. But again, I don't think ever, even if we have all these, uh, you know, di- digital ways of of handling this and on, on automated ways of handling light, music, and sound. Um, sorry, light, music, and temperature. I really think every person needs to be aware because there could be a night 
where you go like, wow, we're just a lot. We, we decided to let people in and, and, and have standing room at the bar. And all of a sudden it's raised the temperature by five degrees. So I think it has to be something that every person working in the establishment needs to be aware mm-hmm. of. And, and that sets up a real nice segue when we're talking about technology here, because I'm looking at one that I'm really interested in and would love to learn more about here. And I think technology might have changed this, which is understands the importance of bartender customer confidentiality. And I'm wondering if you can also tell me about that through the lens. It may be not, might not be related, but of these platforms like Resi, because I have an anecdote to share after that, but I'm keen to hear more about this point. Sure. Um, well, to address that head on, um, what kind of fucking person do you want to be? Like there is no ability in serving people. There's also no ability in being someone that is able to listen and to regard people's privacy. And I know now we're living in a world, I remember, when was it like, I, I, it was the last election or whatever it was like privacy is dead. And, and it's like saying like chivalry is dead. That's bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's really bullshit. It's just, just because we have these Instagram and, and all these platforms now that take our information. Yes. Yes. It's, you know, privacy is, <clears throat> is, is a little more difficult to contain now, but on a human level, on an absolute human level, uh, that shouldn't change. Mm-hmm. Really? Like you should, you should respect, especially as it's just like, a, I, I know we're not doctors, but if somebody's having a shitty day or like you can see, I've seen somebody crying at my bar. Okay. And I've just held space for them. And then they decided to tell me that they lost their mom. We're all going to lose our parents at some point. And the fact if I didn't regard that privacy and, and if I went around and started saying like, you, you know, sharing this information, maybe it's not a great example, but like it. It, it's kind of disres- it's disrespectful to the person. It's also disrespectful to yourself and who you want to be. Mm-hmm. So I would say on a human level, yes. Respecting somebody's privacy, knowing what they need, what they want to talk about, um, what they choose to share with you, that it's really their business and now it's been made your business. It's nobody else's business. Now, in terms of things like Resi and Instagram, well... I do think it's cool that we can take notes about guests yep. so that we can use them as tools to enhance their experience. Like if they're a person that doesn't love to announce that it's their birthday and you know that already, but you put it in the notes and you're like, Tim comes in, he really doesn't like his birthday, but for dessert, we don't even put a candle in the dessert. We just bring it out and we give him a little wink and we go like, we're really glad you keep coming here. Yeah. And that, that kind of information, that's pretty cool. But, you know, to go like, hey, I saw on your Instagram that it's like, fuck you. Yeah. I talk to my friends. And we're all, as you get older, you get busier, you don't get as much FaceTime. I talk to my friends, I go like, oh, God. I was talking to my friend Ari. I was like, oh, dude, sorry, man. But like, I feel like a jackass saying this, but, you know, how was this? Because it was on his Instagram. Mm-hmm. And he, he laughed. He was like, yeah, but of course, man. I was like, I know, I know, I know. It's all love and I'm your friend. But it's like, why didn't we get to catch up in person and talk about this? I had to see it through your Instagram. But with, with guests, it's, um, you know, it's it's really important because uh, I, I think it, it just reinforces how noble what we do is. And is I, love, I love that there are ways, though, in which technology can be utilized, like you said there with Resi. I mean, I think it can go too far, but... 
I think there are ways there where exactly like you're saying, like we have this available to us. Okay, there's a romantic world where every bartender knows all their guests and they, they know these things by heart, but that's not the world that we live in anymore for the most part. So yeah. why not let technology help us? I did have one where I've come across a new spot recently that I've been enjoying going to and basically taking all my friends to you know, have this new martini. Uh, it's not Veronica, but we will talk about that later. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just going out and drinking martinis. I mean, that's what I do. But I came in and, and, and I said to my friend, oh, my God, you're going to love this space or whatever. And I get up and they ask for a phone number at the door and put the phone number in. And they're like, oh, my God, Tim, you're back. You were just here the other day. And I'm like. Well, way to make me feel like I have a drinking problem or something. You know, like, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to share the word here, spread the word. Yeah. Oh no, that is a great one. I'm going to actually tell a little quick story here, but that's a great one because what if you were on a date and it was like your your third different date and you can't said, have a date spot anymore. Like, you're like, great um, way to blow my cover. You fucking suck. You know, <laughs> you know the fact that. I've been using this place because I feel really comfortable here and I'm in dating right now. And actually a very, I'm, I'm going to give my, my first little bar of the varnish props because my best friend Josh um, used it one, and he tells this story. He actually wrote, because uh, in the back of the book, there's uh, stories of regulars. And he talks about the, uh, the week or it was like, yeah, the week that he had, he came in three times with three different dates and Anthony, our host, every time he came in, it was like the first time he was like, oh my God, Josh, it is so good to see you. We have missed you. And then the next night it was like, Josh, it is about time you got back here. We have, we've really been wondering where you've been at. So we see who is this person who's joined you? And, and the last time, like just a big hug. Never, ever did Anthony let on that he had been there just the night before or two nights ago. So that right there, that's the magic. That's, that's the pillar. Like paying attention. And that's what we... That's what we are paid to do. We're paid to have a point of view to serve consistent products, food and drink, and then just to be aware of the people walking through our door and how we can make a special experience happen. And if you can't, if you can't drink that Kool-Aid, then, then please don't apply for a job. It's too hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's too hard to train people and then realize, oh, God, you actually, the part about caring um, you just don't have it or see it. Mm-hmm. And I think in that scenario too, it's worth noting that it was said with good intentions. It was said as if to be like, oh, we're glad that you're loving it here and, and we love having you here. But again, just like you say, there could be so much other else going on at that time where it's just like it's, the, the subtle acknowledgement between the, the two maybe is, is the better way to go in that one. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you were coming in with... Uh, by yourself or with the same day, I mean, that kind of response would have been perfect. I'm not, listen, we are human. That's what makes this all beautiful. Yeah. Um, it goes back, we're going to go right back to that quote. Um, uh, you're demonstrating one skill and that you're never going to get 100% of your moments. You're not. Mm-hmm. I mean, as long as you take note and you stay aware, it goes all the way like with jiggering and building drinks by the round and reusing a jigger. I'm always saying to my partners, hey, 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 you could reuse that jigger, but don't don't like beat yourself up for that. Just make a mental note. And it's the same thing with service uh, in terms of how you greet people, how you grab a glass. You know, did you blow out the candle when you had a tree of dirties? Um, it's it's being apathetic uh, and not thinking actively. That's that's where I take issue. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Like mistakes happen. It's again, what makes us human. And, and again, what makes us beautiful. 
But I just take issue with not thinking through uh, and taking action on your action. So apathy sucks. If you're actively thinking about how you can be better, then great. So maybe you should write these people a letter and tell them how they fucked up your night, Tim. <laughs> I can do that through Resi now as well. That's the great thing. No. <laughs> no, absolutely not. All right. So here's one for you. Um, we talked about being active at the beginning there. We've, we're, we're talking the throes of service here. But what about when it comes toward the end of the night and, and that wonderful art and that dance of somehow trying to tell guests that it's time to leave uh, without offending anyone while maintaining the standards of the evening, but also having respect for your staff and being like, these guys need to get out too. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I would say uh, stamina on your team, stamina and consistency are important uh, tools to, to lean on. You know, there are nights when you're, it's, it, they're tough nights. There's nights where you're personally not in the mood, but you have to lean on uh, your ability to see it through to the end of the night. And, and by that, I mean, communication is very important. You know, like if something gets screwed up, as you know, you, you always want to be the person that addresses it, not that ignores it. So when it comes to the end of the night, like people are, are, are carousing and, and, as a team, you have to have a cutoff point as to when last call, when last call, when last drinks go out over the bar. Like at the varnish, it's 1.30, only because we really want to get those orders in latest, like 1.25, so that people can have those drinks and still have time to enjoy them. Because yeah. we don't want to like serve a drink and it's 1.50 and then we're like, okay, you got to get out. Yeah. You know, they're $18 drinks. Um, yeah. So I think it's being cognizant of how to stick the landing. You know, I mean, I think they say uh, pilots will tell you that takeoff and landing are the two most difficult parts of their job. Uh, the rest, for better or worse, is is actually quite literally cruise control, especially with the technology we have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, like takeoff and landing are both require focus, attention, communication. And again, I know pilots are human beings, so I'm sure there are days where they're like, Jesus, I don't feel like landing a plane with uh, 200 passengers, uh, but they do it anyway. So when you're getting ready to wind down, making sure the whole team is communicating, uh, making sure that if you know, like your server or one of your bartenders is, is really uh, gotten beat up that night with a lot of with service, you just go like, hey man, come on, we just got, you know, encourage each other to just see it through to the end. You know, keep smiles on the face, but communicate with the guests and say, listen, can I get you uh, some water? Or this is our, our last service. Um, we do close at two o'clock. And then when it comes time to getting people out, I'm not really a huge fan of the fuck you lights. Yeah. Um, I think, yes, that does have to end up happening in the end, but I think it has to be um, a, a slow progression. And, and honestly, it actually never has to happen if people get the, the gist and exit on their own while the lights are, are still low or even have come up uh, a quarter or halfway. Um, there's no reason to throw up the lights and say, uh, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I mean, come on. Okay, yeah. fine. Maybe, maybe in a dive bar because it's fun. But again, it doesn't have to happen that way. Mm -hmm. um, you can be suggestive and people can get the picture. And, and of course, there are people that aren't going to hear all those cues and and you can be uh, enforceful and loud in a very fun way. 
You don't have to be mean. You can be like, come on, you guys, I gotta go home. You, yeah. know, you can be playful with all of that. Um, again, it's it's uh, it's listening to the room, to yourself, to with your team and to the guests. I, just, I think I think one thing that's very important to me as a guest, and I remember being told this, my first job as a food runner, was when someone asks for the check, they want out. Let them get out there as fast as they want. Like, okay, you want the check, you're moving on. Great, I want to take care of that as soon as possible for you. That's something that really matters to me on on the on the guest side here. Tim, I'm I'm so glad you brought that up because there is, I would say paying the bill is the the dirty work. It's the dirty moment. You know, yes, we are not, <laughs> we don't yeah. open places for charity. Exactly. Um, we we have bills to pay. We have staff to take care of. So when people are paying the bill, um, you want to make that as quick and effective as possible. And so when you put the bill down, you're you have to be ready knowing that that credit card or a couple credit cards is going to go down um very soon and uh, you have to be ready to come back and grab it and if you can you have to say to a co-worker like hey can you keep an eye on table seven uh, i gotta take care of this this and that but they have the check and and they're going to want to close out yeah. immediately so yeah that's that, that again that's sticking the landing right there it's again like you know, I've got this 10 rant in the book about, about fucking pens that leak everywhere and that, you know, <laughs> top are lost and that are dry. It's, and that's why I love these. If you don't have um, custom-made pens, I love, uh, and I actually have one on my desk right here. It's these big, soft, feel, fine, black pens. I don't know if you can hear that, me clicking that clear. pen. Because it's a click. And then they can sign, and it's never dry, and it's never leaky. You always want to provide the right tools so that, like you said, they can get out of there quickly and effectively. And they appreciate that because when you ask for the check, you're like, great, I've had a wonderful night. Or maybe it was a tough night. You did the best you could. They want to mm -hmm. get out of there. So uh, leave, them, <laughs> uh, leave them with the right impression. I, I enjoy the fact that you describe, you know, paying the bill is kind of like the dirty point because there's this, there's something that I struggle with. And this is very much a part of this conversation, which is for bartenders to hit all of the points that you're talking about here they have to they have to treat essentially customers as guests this has been one of the fundamental pillars of of you know perfecting hospitality but on the other hand i struggle with it because i'm like i'm not a guest in terms of I wouldn't expect to pay your home if you have me over for dinner. Do you know what I mean? I'd be more than happy to chip in with helping bus plates or, hey, maybe your dishwasher breaks. It's like, Eric, I'll, I'll stick around. I'll help you out with that, right? Like that to me is being, is what a guest is about. And I'm not saying this in terms of, I want to be treated differently as a customer, but I just don't know. I find it, I find it difficult for both things to coexist well, and I think it's brought up problems for actually for people that work in service rather than guests themselves. Does any of that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I actually have, I, I've, I've been, I'm on the like hinges uh, on the sidelines of this debate because there was, oh, I think it was a New York Times article about guests versus client. I don't know. I mean, are we just semantic, being semantic, do, dealing with semantics here? I mean, yes, of course, when you go out, you expect to pay. Um, and when you go to someone's home as a guest, 
you're not necessarily expected to do the dishes. Of course not. Yeah, of course not. I mean, maybe if you, well, hold on. You, you know what? Like, if you go over a lot, then you go like, no, I got this, Tim. You cooked an amazing meal. I got the dishes that I come yeah. on. It's like ninth time you've had me over. But can I tell you something? I've had people in the bars who are regulars who clear their own glassware. Um, so I, 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 to me, it's semantics, really. Yeah. I, I want people to, listen, I want people to feel like they're guests. And yes, they do have to pay because we are all part of contributing to um, a worthy cause. And this worthy cause is a safe environment. It's an experience. It's a point of view. We want it to be there for A, us who go there all the time, B, for the new people um, that are visiting from out of town or there their first time, C, for the people behind the barn in the back of house that are making the experience happen. So I think, again, like we said, the nobility of serving people, I think when you're when you're a, a guest or a client, you are a part of that whole brigade of how this works. We can't do it without each other. Yeah. So I I want people to feel like they're guests, but yes, they're guests with, with and it comes with a contribution. Yeah. <laughs> Look, <laughs> to the cause. Uh, but again, I, I don't have like a head. I know exactly what you're saying, but I don't get super wrapped up in it. I, I'd like people to just be kind. Even when I'm serving people, I want to be kind. And if I, you can become a, a good friend and a regular, you're, um, you're going to feel even more like a guest. Mm -hmm. But yes, for the most part, you will always pay. Maybe if you bring your parents and you've been a regular for like a year, I'm going to be like, nope, it's on me, Tim. Brought up <laughs> now. That's a big fucking deal. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you know what it is? And I appreciate, I appreciate your response there because it's basically the crux of every single matter, I think, these days, which is appreciating and understanding nuance. And that, that nuance is there are subtly different definitions of what a guest can be depending upon the environment. A hundred percent, man. Well, good. I'm glad we finally agreed on something, Tim, because this has been a real battle. So I've got one when it comes to guests, though, I think this is a, this might be a nice place for us to, to look at another thing here and, and, and start to, to come into landing, as it were, pull out that landing gear. And, and that's etiquette. Milk and honey, of course, was known for this, but actually having like customer facing literal rules that yep. were a part of that bar's fame. And it's so funny as well, you know, we've interviewed other people from the Milk and Honey family on this show. And it's it's so striking how you all maintain these values that we're speaking about today. But what about those rules of the original bar? Do you want to talk through some of them and also just how do they translate to 2022? Yeah, sure. Uh, totally. I, I love this. Listen, it's inherent in what you just said. They're rules. Okay. They're not themey. You know, we're not like in you know, the milk and honey family, since we're using this as the example, we're not like dressing up in, in, in uh, you know, button up shirts and suspenders and pressed pants and shine shoes just, just because, you know, we want to be themey. It's like, no, actually, we, we enjoyed that time period. Did we, do we do it didactically? I mean, shit. And so my gear, I would wear my studded punk rock belt. Um, but in terms of rules, they weren't just because we wanted to be like a themey speakeasy. The rules of milk and honey, and of course, you know, I, I, they predate when I joined the family, but they were there for a reason. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
you know, no name dropping, no star fucking, just meant like come to the bar as a normal human being. And if there's a way or, you know, if we bring you your bill and all the drinks are on there, don't fucking say like, well, you know, I know so-and-so or like da 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 or, or this famous person's going to come and join me. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. There, there was no hooting, no hollering, no shouting or other loud behavior. Um, I don't really know if I need to explain that one. That one hey. goes without saying. Yeah, I mean, that goes without saying. But also, B, um, Milk and Honey was in a, uh, in a co-op. So, you know, there were, there were neighbors in, mm-hmm. in the area. There were neighbors. It was the only bar on the street at the time. Um, again, another one that's inherent. No fighting, no play fighting, no talking about fighting. It's like, don't fucking drink and fight. That's just not right. Um, then this one, which, and when we get to out, because I'd like to bring up the varnish rules, uh, yeah. gentlemen will remove their hats. Hooks are provided. Gentlemen will not introduce themselves to ladies. Ladies, feel free to start a conversation or ask the bartender to introduce you. Uh, right there is just this beautiful example of chivalry and etiquette. Um, nobody, and I know it's changed now, but nobody, man or woman or person, however you identify, um, likes to go out and be uh, accosted. Mm-hmm. Uh, or even be spoken to if they really just want to be alone. So I think that rule beyond it, just saying like, hey, be a gentleman, hey, ladies, you know, um, you, you feel protected. I think it was a lot about shining a light on respect each other in this space. Mm-hmm. And so what um, about the varnish rules there and, and also these concepts? Yeah, like, because as you say there, yeah, certain things have changed on that front and they might be viewed in a different way by perhaps, you know, we have multiple different generations that are drinking now, generations that weren't drinking when you were starting out. Oh, yeah, totally. And also, like, varnish is different. It's a little more like Little Branch. It's a little more lively. So it's a bit bigger. It's a little bigger. Um, but, like, I, I remember early days of varnish, I was asking people to take their hats off. And Sasha, and this was like week one, he came up to me and he said, Eric, I was like, yeah, what's up? Do you want to spend all your time telling people to take their hats off? And I just kind of looked at him. I was like, no. no. He's like, because that's going to be really difficult here. <laughs> he, was, he was right. He was like, you know, we have, we're milk and honey uh, pedigree here, but the room is different. So let's read the room. So we stopped doing that. And that wasn't, and we took that out as being one of our rules. But like, you know, for example, we have our rule about respecting ladies and gentlemen, take your hats off. We say at the varnish, disrespectful attitudes towards other patrons or our staff will not be tolerated. Boom. Perfect. That's it. Plain and simple. Um, you know, we, uh, we, we say right away, we are first come first served and we don't take reservations. Boom. Manage people's expectations. Mm-hmm. We cannot accommodate parties larger than six people. Boom. So if you show up with eight right away, we can be like, Hey, listen, this is just what we can do. And then to address kind of like the, the dress code, I mean, cocktail attire is admired, but not required. So, you know, if you show up in shorts and a t-shirt, Hey, okay, fine. We're in California. That's cool. But you might turn around, look around the room and see people, uh, all a little fancy duck. And maybe that'll give you an idea next time to put on some pants when you go out. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Can I, can I jump in here with a somewhat related anecdote, but, and, and I think that really works for this. So, I was visiting the Varnish, I want to say it was in May, and I don't believe you were in town, but I was, you know, stood at the bar and I had um, had dinner happening later too, so that was why, again, at the end of the night when I ordered to check, the bartender knew we needed to get be out there by a certain time. 
perfect. The service was exceptional. I was stood at the bar and the couple stood next to me. They had flown in from the UK. They were in town for, I didn't know them, by the way. We don't all know each other over there. Um, <laughs> and they'd flown in. And, and I think they were only in town for one evening. Then they were going somewhere else. And they'd literally looked up a number of different spots that they wanted to drink at. This was before they even went to their hotel. I believe they might have been in your bar with their suitcases. So again, they weren't in cocktail attire, but it meant that much to them to visit and to and to check out this this spot. And so, yeah. yeah, like in that scenario, if you'd said, no, you have to be wearing something, they would have missed out on that experience. A hundred percent. And uh, that's really beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. It yeah, was nice. That- it was a nice moment. Yeah, I mean that, that that's like almost up there with bringing your mom, or you know, or bringing your eighteen or your twenty-one year old son or daughter when they when they turn of age. I mean, the fact that people regard and have read and want to have that experience for themselves that it's important enough to just basically take the uh, the Uber lift from the airport right yep. right to our front door is uh, pretty cool. And yes, we we've, we've had those moments. I have definitely said, "Hey, let me just put your bag right back here," um, and and that's. <laughs> that's that's yeah. worked actually really quite well because some of them have stayed all night being like, oh, now we really have to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got to check in somewhere. You know, like that is never fun under the influence. But yeah, going again to your to, to rules, man, they were not, they're not some, and I, I think, I think the whole speakeasy rules thing kind of jumped the shark after milk and honey and other places open. Like people yeah. felt they had to have rules. And I just think in this family for us is that a rule was a rule, excuse me, was, you know, that's one of those funny words you say it over and over again. It sounds weird, but a rule is inherently um, something that is necessary, not something that is meant to be themey or put, I would say, handcuffs on the experience. They were actually just necessary uh, uh, bullet points so that, um, you know, it's like a little bit of a manual for the place. Yep. Uh, like the, the last, the one for milk and honey that I always think is really smart is, is do not bring anyone unless you would leave that person alone in your home. Um, and I think that I know that sounds extreme because, you know, I don't know, like I'm, I'm pretty OCD. So I don't know how many people in my close group of friends I would leave in my home. But I think the idea of think about it, who you're hanging out with. You know, you really are judged by the company you keep. A hundred percent. I learned that from my dad growing up. There were a couple of things. That was one of them. Um, and that's always, uh, you know, held really true to me. So, yeah, I love it. I love it. And I, I, I love that idea as well of like, if you're opening a place, then it should become apparent to you if you've, if you've been in the industry for long enough, the rules that your establishment needs to have. If there yeah. are, if you don't need to go looking for them right? So that it becomes thematic or tacky. But like you said, there, there are certain instances like the idea of milk and honey being on that quiet street at that point in time that make it, the experience better for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And, and may I say, like, if the rules are really honed and, and, and thought of by, by the establishment, then I don't, I don't think they need to be beat over people's heads. Yep. Like I think a place is running a certain way where, you know, like milk and honey and attaboy still has this, but they have the curtain in front of the door after you open it. Like that right there is saying like, Hey, you're walking into another little world. Um, like 
please uh, take the self-assess, um, bring your voice down. You know, I think, I think rules inherently are alive in a place. And it's not like, even though they might be posted on the door or in the bathroom, uh, I, I don't think for them to really be smart rules and effective rules that uh, they need to beat people over the head. You're mm-hmm. not just like you're not beating people over the head with the mixology stick, which I think is a real trap. You're not wanting to beat people over the head with these rules. I think the way you run your establishment should inherently kind of just make those rules, not even just verbally, but in terms of the feeling, those things should should be alive within the space. Yeah, and and I think that's a great reminder that all of these things, whether it's rules or the etiquette, are you talking about speak, stepping into a, a new environment, the change of lighting and music and temperature, you know, you're in a new space. Everything you're mentioning here comes with the aim of creating the utmost experience for guests. And that's something we all appreciate, I think, as drinkers and guests and probably even people working too when you're in an environment like that. Yeah, it's why we go out. You know, I mean, we can make drinks at home, Tim. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, have, we we go out for to experience um, other people's point of view. And and there's, um, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll end it with this. Uh, there's a philosopher. Uh, he's, um, oh my God, I think he's Hungarian, but uh, Chinsen Mihai. And I remember reading one of his early lectures in a book. I mean, I was young, but it was one line that said, we, we only exist in relation to other people, places, and things. And for me, and I know for a lot of us, the reason why we A, go out and B, create spaces where people can come be our guest, um, <laughs> it's, that's, that's our reason for existing. I love it. I love it. That's etiquette right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's good one. I'm so glad you, you, you asked what, what I wanted to talk about. So thank you. Thank you kindly for uh, giving me that opportunity. A lot of fun. Well, thank you kindly for, for rejoining us. And um, how do you feel about now exploring five new quick hit questions to, ch- to finish the show, given that you've, you were the first to answer our first five, our original five? Yeah, I knew this was coming. I knew, knew it was coming. This again, so I had to like rack my brain and think about like, oh, what's he going to ask me? But All I right. Think I've got answers for you. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's start. Let's do it. Question number one here. Which spirits category are you currently most excited about from a personal and or professional perspective? Well, I have to say I've been working a lot lately. So I... Personally, I'm 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 always a sip mezcal um, and mm-hmm. and, a, and 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 a topo chico kind of person these days when I'm at the house. But professionally, um, I've been working a lot in the pisco, and there's um, this uh, this great cocktail that we have at uh, a place called Veronica, which I recently just worked on and helped open. It's the acholado, which means uh, mixed or blended, and so we make our own in-house acholado. And uh, I discovered this uh, um, Marnier La Postelle XO Pisco. And it's, you know, from the Grand Marnier family because they grew grapes in Chile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's this aged Pisco that they have. And we do a 50-50 blend with Singani 63. And I know Singani, it's like the easy way to say it is it's a Bolivian Pisco, which it's, they, uh, it's Singani. Mm-hmm. I know in Bolivia, you're like, no, it's not Pisco, it's Singani. Uh, but it's made, from, it's made from Muscat grapes. 
Um, but we do a 50-50 and create this atolado and, and, sh- and then just do a traditional build. Um, I'll, I'll jump in here and I'll say that you, you have three Pisco Sours, I believe, on the menu there at Veronica. And they are wonderful. And also, I feel like, a, I feel like we're having a little Pisco Sour moment at the moment. I see them cropping up everywhere and I'm here for it. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, it was super, you know, funny about that menu was just saying, we went really bold and we were like, what are our lead drinks? It's like Pisco Sour and Espresso Martini. Awesome. Let's put three of each on the menu. And I'd never <laughs> done that. I was like, okay, that's bold. And it's just been fun. It just like, and I think that's the time we're living in right now is people are ready to get back and party. Like give us Espresso Martinis, give us 90s, 90s classics, you know, like I want blue shit in my drink. I mean, I know I'm not... The first one to realize this, and I know like Punch just recently had an article about what's, you know, why, why all that stuff's coming back. But I think people really just want to have a, a good time without the hangups. A hundred percent. And and I'll say, you know, just in case we don't cover Veronica again in this conversation, wonderful martini that you have there as well with the, there's a little caviar service goes with it. It's a vodka martini. And you know what? People know here that I'm, I'm regularly a gin martini drinker, but this is the one that's finally, this is the vodka martini that's finally conquered my heart. So thank you for offering that to the city. I, I will say that I very much enjoyed it too because of the vodka we're using. It's the Chopin Family Reserve made from uh, young potatoes. Uh, and uh, I, I, you know, I mean, from the world we come from, we don't play with as much vodka, but um, if you know or not, really it was Chopin and Belvedere were the early 90s. They were the ones creating me the vodka, uh, the vodka trend. Mm-hmm. And the Chopin family reserve uh, is just pretty, pretty exceptional. It's so, a wonderful I'm, vodka. I'm, and, and can we just plug some of our friends here? Like two other things that I love using right now, it's Ford Slow Gin. Mm-hmm. Go, go Ford's team. Uh, go Simon and team. And then also this little uh, nutmeg liqueur called Miris Nutmeg Liqueur by Jim Ryan. Um, I have a, one of these espresso martinis at Veronica um, uses the uh, Miris Nutmeg Liqueur. So if you haven't if you haven't had a chance to taste it, head over to Veronica or, or definitely pick up a bottle. Wonderful. Those are those are two two plugs I can get behind as well. Um, great products there. Yeah. All right. Question number two. What was the last ideally alcoholic drink you had that really wowed you? I don't know if you're going to love me or hate me for this answer, but it's historical and it's because of someone I love. And it's the fact that it is served with no frills, um, no ego. Um, and it's a cosmopolitan at Long Island bar. And I'm for him. We've known each other over a decade now and a, he, you know, he paved the way really for Tribeca in terms of Cosmos. And I remember my first job was at a place called the Straining Room, which was like six blocks north of the Odeon. And I didn't know Toby back then, but I was fucking like shaking up Cosmos out of the gun, Sarah makes out of the gun. So the Cosmo and the fact that I can get one from Toby, uh, it is historical. It does, you know, it does bring up those, um, those memories and the fact that I can get one ice cold and not feel like I'm, I'm being that guy ordering a Cosmo and the fact that mm-hmm. back and, and secret wink, wink on the DL, I'm actually dropping a menu in LA that will have a Cosmo on it. So again, mm. that 90s anxiety is coming back. <laughs> Can I ask you, did Toby, did Toby make that for you or did you go for the frozen one that they have on offer there at the moment? 
Oh no, Toby made that one for you. Toby made it. Wow. Well, you know, I mean, you guys, you guys go a long way back, and and that's nice to hear that. That's nice to hear that he'll do that. I know he will do it for any guest that 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 walks in and asks for it too. But I know there's some trepidation there when people know because they're like, "This is the guy." Well, well, you know what's funny is, you, and you have interviewed him about this, but he refers to the cosmopolitan as his albatross. <laughs> so one of the first times I was in years ago in, in Long Island Bar, I was like, hey, I was there with my my writing, my co-author, Deborah Stoll. And uh, I was like, hey, he's like, hey, and I said, can we get two albatrosses? What <laughs> 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 an inside joke, but you get it. Nice. That's what I'm going to need to do because I think Toby's still holding out on me on my Cosmo, you know, but I, I usually order it in jest. I know I don't want to. I don't want to bug the man, but yeah, next time I go, I'm ordering an albatross. We'll see what happens. I shall report back. Please do. You burned it. <laughs> Question number three. What one book would you recommend that every alcohol and cocktail enthusiast should own a copy of? Unvarnished. I hear you. Tell me about it. Like, come on. All right, listen, I, I, uh, there's a couple others I'm going to suggest, but, uh, you know, when you're, when you're a writer, when you become a first-time writer, you really learn very quickly um, how, how difficult the, um, the book world is and selling your book. And um, uh, for any of us in this industry that have written a book, I would, I would applaud and champion that everyone should go out, especially if you're an enthusiast and support the cause. Um, Unvarnished um, was a book that I co-authored by with Deborah Stoll, and um, it was um, published by HarperCollins Harper Wave. Uh, the published date was June uh, 23rd of 2020. So I know nobody really wants to go back mentally to that time, but it was a really difficult time to drop a book um, right during the pandemic, right dur during the what, what was and um, one of the important civil rights movement. Of, of our lifetime uh, so far. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it wasn't the stage to, to drop a book and it was a little difficult. So I say unabashedly, I think it's a good read and a great ride. Um, and great listen too, if that's your lane, just want to point that out too as well. You're, you've done the narration for it and that's the, uh, that's, that's the, that's the one that I really enjoyed. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I was going to say, if you don't like reading or don't have time, then I do, I do the audiobook. So yeah, please pick up a copy of Unvarnished. But if I would suggest a few others, um, Toby Maloney from Violet Hour, also from Milk and Honey, just uh, dropped the Bartender's Manifesto. Um, a lot of wonderful stuff in there. And I love that he also cites that it was you know, authored by him and the staff at Violet Hour. Um, and then two other books, which I would suggest that are outside per se of um, the cocktail world is one is by George Orwell. And it's uh, Down and Out in Paris and London. About huh. him, him as a struggling writer. Uh, and it's really, really, really good. A fun read, a fun ride. Um, and then if you're into like survival books, there's a book called Deep Survival by Lawrence Gonzalez. That's another great audio book. Um, and it's just about, uh, it's about the human spirit and what allows certain people to survive uh, very challenging circumstances, you know, like a plane crash or being stranded out at sea. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a real hmm. listen. I, uh, wonderful recommendations there. If, if you will allow me to, uh, to add on a little personal anecdote here on the, on the down and out in Paris and London front, I think I was 18 at the time 
had my first ever restaurant industry job, which was working as a food runner. Um, and I was also applying to university to study English. And I was at this point in my life where I was like, do I go do the writer thing or do I pursue this other thing that I had never come across and never considered before? And I just happened to be reading that book at the same time. So it felt, I don't know, it felt, it felt very apt for the time. Oh my God. I'm kind of happy with the way that I did it though. I did the, the, got the chef stuff out of the way first and then, yeah. <laughs> life, life is art. Yeah. That's a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it was real it's fun. It's a great ride and read. It's a quick one too. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a little easier than. Uh, it's not going to keep you up as night for as long as say if you if you want to pay a revisit to 1984 right now. Uh, that one's tougher. That, but uh, it's a good. You know what? I feel like down and out in Paris and London is a little bit more Orwell's, um, uh, like a, a little more Henry Miller. Mm-hmm. You know. So yeah, yeah, yep. There we go. Well, great books there. Uh, and yeah, just keep the art of, of writing and publishing and everything alive, folks. You know, it's good. Um, question number four. Interesting one here for yourself. If you could appear in one movie scene where alcohol plays a prominent role, which one would it be and who would you like to play? <laughs> All right. Well, because this is the theme, I'm not just giving one. Um First one that came to mind was uh, the dude in the Big Lebowski when he makes the first white Russian in the movie with his finger. Mm-hmm. The second is uh, Jack Torrance, where he, in the middle of The Shining, he's like down and out from just, you know, having writer block and he sits at the bar in the hotel. Yeah. And a Jerry bartender named, I think, Lloyd shows up and pours Lloyd. him a Jack Daniels. So he just sits there talking to Lloyd, an imaginary, you know, an apparition of a bartender drinking Jack Daniels. And then the last one would be uh, Fight Club. It's the scene um, where Tyler Durden and the narrator, Ed Norton, uh, meet at a bar for a beer. And, you know, they're talking about, like, consumerism. And, and then they go out in the parking lot. And that's the beginning of the, you know, that part of the movie where he's, like, hit me as hard as he can. So nice. So, three... so those are the three movies. So you're going with the dude. Mm-hmm. Who are you? are you? Are you playing Nicholson or are you playing Lloyd? You're playing Jack? I'm done. Well, yeah, that's an interesting question. I assumed I was playing Jack, but I guess I could play the imaginary bartender. That's the first time in my life I ever heard the phrase uh, hair of the dog that bit me. I believe <laughs> I saw that movie when I was like 10 or something. Wildly inappropriate. Totally. But we saw that movie at an age that was still probably wildly inappropriate. So, Yes, 100%. And then last one, are you, are, are, are you Pitt or are you Norton? Oh, I'm definitely Pitt. <laughs> no hesitation there yeah there's let's uh let's be honest here that's one of the best movies of uh, a certain generation incredible incredible um doesn't miss a beat that i tell you what the the script for that does not let up from minute one to the end the pace of it, it's incredible yeah it's yeah i i mean that's i think just like pump up the volume which was a movie i'd seen oh like 50 times over um, that is one that I've seen many, many times. It does not, mm-hmm. it doesn't disappoint. Never. I need to rewatch that one imminently. Um, all right then. Final question. Which modern classic cocktail do you think is deserving of more recognition than it gets? Well, funny question, because I've answered this recently. Um, I'm going to answer it the same way. 
uh, it was, I've been really in uh, low ABV lately, and the one I've always loved and suggested and celebrated is Mickey McIlroy's Rome with a View. It's a simple uh, three-quarter simple syrup, one lime, uh, one dry vermouth, one Campari, just uh, just a, a, a light toss, strained with uh, topped off with club soda. Wonderful drink, definitely one worth trying if you haven't already. I think it's actually kind of like, at least for me, because I remember in the low ABV world, obviously you had your Americano, but I just remember that was the one that I learned early on and was like, oh yeah, okay, you want low ABV. And now we have a, just a myriad amount of low ABV options and it's wonderful that that's happened. But um, I really feel like this one kind of was at the beginning of the whole low ABV cocktail craze. It's OG. It's OG yeah. low ABV cocktail. So hats off to uh, Mickey. He's, he's got a couple of bangers and that's one of them. Yeah, true story. All right then, Eric. Thank you so much again for coming back for 50. Wow. Yeah. We went a hundred, we went an hour and 15 minutes. I hope, uh, I, I hope, uh, your followers have, have the bandwidth to, to listen to us for, for that long. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you what, I hope so too, because we'll see you again this time next year for a hundred. Well, roughly this time. That's amazing. Thank you, man. I really, uh, really appreciate it, Tim. Always a pleasure talking to you. Cheers. Okay. That was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of VinePair's Cocktail College is also published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, VinePair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team. Too many awesome people to mention, they know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Greenberg, art director at VinePair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music, that's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.